Well, good morning. We don't know when we're going to be able to uh, all get back here together and meet, but I did want to let you know in the meantime, we've been uh, putting together uh, some plans, making plans on when we do meet together again uh, to make this a safe environment. Uh, we're putting in additional hand sanitizing stations, different things like that. So wanted to let you know we've been working on that. In the meantime, there are a lot of virtual meetings for you to join. Um, every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, Erica Wilkes hosts a uh, FaceTime Live time of worship. Uh, Davis family is also doing a time of worship, uh, actually just listening to it last night uh, and, and singing along with it. Every week they put something together, uh, so encourage you to, uh, to listen to that. Uh, 10.30 on Sunday mornings, Miss Kelsey meets with the Kingdom Seekers, and that's ages, uh, it's second grade through sixth grade. Uh, you can contact Miss Kelsey via email if you want to participate uh, in that. Pastor Nate has Sunday school at 1030. That's for 7th grade through 12th grade. Every Sunday evening at 7 o'clock, Pastor Nate has youth group uh, for, for the senior high. And, uh, and also at 7 o'clock rooted, that's our ministry for 18 to 30 year olds. Uh, we have a, uh, a Zoom meeting at that time. Monday evening, 7 o'clock, Ladies Bible Study. Uh, Wednesday evening, Junior High meets with Pastor Nate at 7 o'clock. Most of our Awana clubs also have a virtual lesson. Uh, one other thing that we just started this past week, Craig Lucas is teaching a Bible study on end times each Thursday evening. Uh, it's open to everyone. Speaking of end times, next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 24, so we'll be discussing uh, the end times also uh, at that time. This morning, though, we're in Matthew chapter 23, so if you have your Bible with you, uh, if you would turn there. For the past several weeks, everywhere you go, people are wearing masks, and they're wearing masks for a good reason. It's to protect other people. If you wear your mask, it's so that you don't cough on somebody, you don't sneeze on someone, uh, that, that you don't uh, affect or infect them. So we've been wearing masks recently for good reason. But you know what? There are other masks that we wear for other reasons. Seven times in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus calls the religious leaders hypocrites. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek, and it carries with it the idea of a mask that an actor would wear. In the Greek and in the Roman theater, an actor would wear a mask, and then they would pretend to be someone else. And that's where we get our idea of what it means to be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be someone that they're not. The popular image of Jesus is that he preached a lot of feel-good sermons. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Uh, be a peacemaker. Turn the other cheek. Jesus did preach all of these things, but he also preached a couple of harsh sermons too. And these sermons are also for us to, to learn from. Here in Matthew 23... Jesus calls the religious leaders hypocrites, children of hell, blind guides, fools, full of greed, unclean, snakes, and full of wickedness. Now, I imagine if I called the people in the congregation that during a message, there would kind of be a, a mass exodus outside of the building. But, but Jesus said this, and, and there are lessons that are there for us to learn. And I think the main lesson is this. 
you don't want to be like the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus says in verse 3. He says, don't do what they do. If you've ever seen the old TV show Seinfeld, you know there's a character in Seinfeld, George Costanza. And George is always doing the wrong thing, and his life is a mess. And in one episode, Jerry says to him, he says, George, every inclination you have is wrong. Why don't you just do the opposite of everything you feel inclined to do? And George does it. He says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the opposite. And his life makes a dramatic turnaround. And in essence, that's what Jesus is saying to us here. He's telling us about the Pharisees, and his point is, do the opposite of what they're doing. So to do the opposite of what the Pharisees did, there are seven things I'd like for us to touch on this morning. Number one is this. Match your walk with your talk. Verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Each synagogue would have a, a seat at the front of it, and that would be where the, where the scribe or the Pharisee would sit. Now, now, we've carried this idea over to our own culture. If somebody, we call somebody the chairman or the chairwoman of the board. They're, they're at the top. They're in control. If you go to college, there's a, there's a chair of the music department. There's a chair of the philosophy department. There's somebody that's in control. They're, they're, they're at the top there. And, and Jesus says that, that within the synagogue, the scribes and the Pharisees, they did have a special position. And because of that, Jesus said in verse 3, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. See, a lot of what the Pharisees taught was correct. They, they added a lot of rules to, to what the Old Testament said. But they did also preach and teach from the Old Testament. And so Jesus says, those things that they are telling you from the Bible, yes, observe them and do them. Whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But don't do according to their works, for they say and don't do. Your walk, the, the way you live your life, needs to match your talk. Now, since we're being real here and, and we're taking off our masks this morning, let's be real. None of us is perfect in this regard. Let me give you a biblical example. Peter. We all look up to Peter, and for good reason. P Peter loved Christ. Peter followed Christ. But he was far from perfect. As a matter of fact, two days after Jesus preached the sermon, Peter was going to deny Christ. Now, that didn't certainly match his talk. Peter would say something different than that, but then he, he did something different. Now, here's the difference, though. See, Peter wasn't perfect, but when he failed, he repented. He confessed his sin, and he, he get, got back on track with his life. So Proverbs chapter 24 says this, A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. This verse doesn't give us an excuse for falling. It just tells us that when we, when we do fall, when we do fail, what should we do? You, you need to get back up and start heading in the right direction again. 
The temptation for us is when we fall just to, to stay down, to say, you know what, I've blown it, I've made a mess of it, you know, there's no recovering from it. And that's what Satan wants you to believe. Every time you fail, every time you sin, Satan wants you to believe there's no way to recover, just, just you know, you, you, you've messed it up enough, J just forget about getting back on your feet. What made Peter different than the Pharisees? Well, well, the Pharisees continued in their sin. They did the wrong thing, and then they continued to do the wrong thing. Peter did the wrong thing, and then he repented. He got back up, and he started following Christ again. And that's what God wants us to do. Verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. This is talking about their teaching. Their teaching was a heavy burden. They, they added rule after rule after rule to what the Bible said. And it was a heavy burden. But they themselves won't move them with one of their fingers. They told other people how they should live their lives, but they weren't willing to live their own lives that way. Now let's contrast that with Jesus' teaching. Jesus called the Pharisees' teaching a heavy burden hard to bear. Jesus said, though, about his own burden, his burden is light. Quite honestly, there are some things in the Bible that I don't find light. I, I don't find them easy to do. So why does Jesus call his burden light? Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The key there is the yoke. Jesus says his, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Back then, well, today too, a, a yoke is something that you would attach two animals together to do the work. See, now, if you attach yourself to Christ, if you're in the yoke with Christ, that's how your burden can be light. Because guess who's doing the heavy lifting? Christ is. That's why the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what do we need to do in the difficult, in the challenging things, in everything in life? You need to be close to Christ. Don't fight him. Walk in the same direction. But he's the one that'll do the heavy lifting. And that's why your burden will be, will be light. Because Christ is the one that, that does the work. We need to stay close to him and follow his direction. Number two, know your role. In verse 11, Jesus tells us what our role is to be. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. As a Christian, my role and your role is to be a humble servant. Now, the Pharisees didn't see themselves that way. The Pharisees didn't see themselves as being servants. It says in verse 5, all the works that they do, all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. A phylactery was a, a leather box that a Jewish person would sometimes wear on their, on their wrist or on their forehead. And they did this because of what it said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
These words I'm commanding you today are to be upon your hearts. Tie them as reminders on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. It would be this leather box and it would contain scripture and they would tie them to their hands, they would bind them to their foreheads. Not only the phylacteries, but also the, the border or the hem of their garment would have tassels on it. Numbers 15. You are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord. See, the, the boxes and the tassels were good things. The boxes were there to remind them of Scripture. The box would have a Scripture uh, inside of it, and you'd put it on your hand, and it would remind you that, that your work should be according to the Scripture, what you do with your hands. You would have it on your head. It would remind you that the things you think about should be according to Scripture. It would be on your mind. They would have these tassels on their garments, and it would remind them every day to keep God's commands. By the way, you might want to do something similar. These are actually good ideas to keep God's Word in front of you. Uh, maybe you, on your computer screen, you have a Scripture verse there. So that every time you go to that computer before you turn it on, you, you, you think about something in the Scripture. Uh, maybe you put something in your car. Maybe you put something on, on the bathroom mirror. But just to constantly be reminded of Scripture, that's a good thing. So what was the problem with what the Pharisees did? Said so they made their phylacteries broad and they enlarged and, and, and those tassels. Well, why did they do that? They wanted to show off. They, they wanted to show, people could see at a distance, oh, look at the size of the box that guy has on his wrist. That's a lot of scripture. It was a way of showing off to show that they thought they were not humble servants, but that they were superior to others. Same thing with these extra long tassels. It, it was a way for them to, to show off that they felt superior to others. Texas farmer went on vacation to Australia while he was in Australia uh, he met a farmer there, and the Australian farmer, by the way, I can't do an Australian accent, so I'm not even going to try, although I know everyone at home is now breaking out their Australian accent. So the Texas farmer goes to Australia. He meets an Australian farmer. The Australian farmer says, hey, come on over to my farm, and, and I'll show you around. And he does. The far Texas farmer comes to the Australian farmer's farm. And the Australian farmer shows him his wheat field. Texas farmer looks at it and goes, my, 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 my field in Texas is five times bigger than that puny thing of yours. Uh, the Australian farmer shows him his cattle. Texas farmer says, hey, my longhorns are twice as big as your cattle. Australian farmer is getting a little bit upset. Some kangaroo go hopping through the field. Texas farmer goes, what are those? The Australian farmer says, oh, you don't have grasshoppers in Texas? <laughs> See, the, the Pharisees had an overblown sense of their importance. Verse 6 says they love the best places at feast, the best seats in the synagogues. The best place at a feast was right beside the guest of honor. And they insisted on those positions. They wanted to be seated right there so everyone would see them. In the synagogue, they insisted on the best seats. They would sit up front and they would face out at everybody so that everybody could see them. I was preaching at a church in Virginia one time, and uh, they, they had the choir seated right behind you. And I tell you what, it's an unnerving thing. I must have a guilty conscience. 
because the, the choir seated behind me. I asked one of my friends that went to the church, I, I said, uh, well, well, and when I say the choir was seated behind you, it was during the entire service. So I asked my friend later that went to the church, I said, why don't you sing in the choir? You, you have a good voice. And he said, you know what? I did for a few weeks, he said, but I, sitting up there, I realized everybody's looking at me. And he said, I, I found I was starting to pretend. He said, I, you know, instead of paying attention, I wanted to, to appear like I was paying attention. You know, nodding my head when the pastor would say something. And he said, I was just so, so self-absorbed, sitting up there realizing everybody was looking at me. But you see, the Pharisees loved the attention. They wanted to sit up front. They wanted all eyes to be on them. They weren't humble servants. Verse 7, they love greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you don't be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you're all brothers. Don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who's in heaven. And don't be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Does this mean that you can't say about your, call your human father, father? Now, I don't think that's what it's saying. Does this mean that you can't call a teacher, teacher? No. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because in Scripture, the, the Bible refers to human fathers hundreds of times as father. So it's okay for us to refer to father, uh, to your father as father. And, and also the Bible talks about the, the gift of, of teacher in the church. It talks about God has given the church pastors and teachers so it's okay to refer to people that way. So what's the point that Jesus is making here? Well, the key is that phrase in the middle of the section, you are all brothers. See, we're all equals. We shouldn't try to elevate ourselves above another. You don't call me father like I'm somehow over you. You know, I'm the father. I'm the one that everybody has to look up to. Because the Bible says we're all, we're all brothers, right? So you don't call me father. You can call your, your father father, but you wouldn't call me father because I'm not above you spiritually. We're all brothers, Jesus says. Same thing with teacher. You wouldn't call me the teacher like I'm the only teacher. Hey, we all ought to teach one another. We all ought to be learning and growing and sharing and helping. We're all brothers. That's the point Jesus is making. But the Pharisees thought they were above everyone else. They needed to realize that, that we're, all, we're all brothers. Wayne Rice wrote a story called Palm Monday Donkey. He wrote this, The donkey awakened, his mind still savoring the afterglow of the most exciting day of his life. Never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. He walked into town and found a group of people by the well. I'll show myself to them, he thought. But they didn't notice him. They went on drawing their water and paid him no attention. Throw your garments down, he said crossly. Don't you know who I am? They just looked at him in amazement. Someone slapped him across the tail and ordered him to move. Miserable heathens, he muttered to himself. I'll go to the market where the good people are. They'll remember me. But the same thing happened. No one paid any attention to the donkey as he strutted down the main street. The palm branches. Where are the palm branches, he shouted. Yesterday you threw palm branches. Hurt and confused, the donkey returned home to his mother. Foolish child, she said gently. 
Don't you realize that without him, you're just a donkey? See, the only one we should elevate is God. One is your teacher, the Christ. One is your father, he who's in heaven. The rest of us, we're equals. We're to be humble servants of God and towards each other. Number three, help. Don't hinder. Verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Not only did they not go in themselves, they didn't help other people into the kingdom. They were, they were hindering people from coming to Christ. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you'll receive greater condemnation. Instead of helping people in need, they took advantage of people in need. This pandemic has real, revealed a lot about people, hasn't it? We've seen a lot of people go out of their way to help people in need. And then we've seen people do the exact opposite, to use the current situation to take advantage of people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, one convert. And when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. The Pharisees put great effort into winning converts to themselves. The problem was they were converts to them and not to Christ. And because of that, they were lost too. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. Everything I say, everything I do has one of two effects. It either gathers people to Christ or it pushes them away. And the same thing's true for you. Everything you say, everything you do, either will gather people to Christ or push them away. So before you say something, you need to think about it. Is this going to gather someone closer to Christ or will it push them away? Before you do something, think about it. Is this going to gather to Christ or is this going to, to push away? Number four, get your values straight. Back in chapter 5, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, the Pharisees, though, had a very complex system about getting around their, their promises. Kind of like when a little child says, well, you know, I had my fingers crossed, so I don't have to do what I said I was going to do. Now, look, little kids will do that, but we shouldn't. But here are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and they were, they were finding ways to get around their promises. They would say, well, if I vow on one thing, I have to do it. If I vow on a different thing, I don't have to do it. And what they vowed on really revealed what they, what they valued. Verse 16, Jesus says to them, Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple... He's obliged to perform it. You see, you see what they valued? Not the temple, but the, but the gold. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that's on it, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift 
or the altar that sanctifies the gifts. The Pharisees valued money and gifts above everything else. Gold and gifts, they valued things more than people. Number five, major on the majors and minor on the minors. Verse 23, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe, a tithe is 10%, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. The Pharisees tithe even from their own vegetable gardens. Can, can you imagine that? You go out, maybe you have a little garden, you go out and you count, you have 41 radishes. So, so you tithe, you come in and you put four radishes in the offering plate, you slice off a little bit of that fifth radish and you put it in there. That, that's, that's the length they went to to keep the tithe. They, they would even tithe the mint in their vegetable garden. Now, and by the way, Jesus didn't say that was wrong. He actually said, these you ought to have done. That was okay. You know what the problem was? You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You are very particular about doing this one thing, but the most important things, the weightier matters of the law, those are the things that you neglected. See, and that's dangerous for us too, isn't it? We can do a lot of things, and there's nothing wrong with doing good things, but we need to make sure we're not neglecting the weightier matters of the law. What are those weightier matters? Jesus says justice and mercy. By the way, mercy, that's a big one, isn't it? Being merciful to other people, those who have wronged you, those who, who have somehow done something wrong, being merciful to them. Jesus says it's a weightier matter, justice and mercy and faith. Jesus said these you ought to have done, the tithing, without leaving the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Someone wrote, his name is Bill. He has wild hair, wears a t-shirt with holes in it, jeans, and no shoes. This was literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He's brilliant, kind of esoteric, and very, very bright. He became a Christian while attending college. Across the street from the campus is a well-dressed, very conservative church. They want to develop a ministry to the students, but aren't sure how to go about it. One day, Bill decides to go there. He walks in with no shoes, jeans, his t-shirt with the holes in it, and wild hair. The service has already started, so Bill starts down the aisle looking for a seat. The church is completely packed, so he can't find a seat. By now, people are looking a bit uncomfortable, but no one says anything. Bill gets closer and closer and closer to the pulpit, and when he realizes there are no seats, he just sits down right in the center aisle. Although perfectly acceptable at a college fellowship, believe me, it's never happened before at this church. By now the people are really uptight and the tension in the air is thick. About this time, the minister realizes that from the back of the church, an elder is, or a deacon is slowly making his way forward. The deacon's in his 80s, has silver gray hair, a three-piece suit, and a pocket watch. A godly man, very dignified, very distinguished. He walks with a cane, and as he starts walking toward Bill, everyone's saying to themselves, you can't blame him for what he's going to do. How can you expect a man of his age and background to understand some college kid sitting on the floor? 
takes a long time for the man to reach Bill. The church is utterly silent, except for the clicking of this man's cane. All eyes are focused on him. You can't even hear anyone breathing. The minister can't even preach his sermon until the deacon does what he has to do. The elderly man drops his cane on the floor. With great difficulty, he lowers himself and sits down next to Bill and worships with him so he won't be alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. When the minister gains control, he says, what I'm about to preach you may not remember. What you've just seen, you'll never forget. Major on the majors. Justice, mercy, faith. Number six, work on the inside. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Which one of these uh, cups would you rather drink from? Now, if your answer is, I don't have enough information, that's the right answer. Because all you see is the outside of the cup. What matters most is what's on the inside. You would only know if it's good for you if you looked on the inside. You, the, the outside really doesn't tell you. The outside can fool you. You have to look on the inside. It's the inside that matters. You know, and it's the same with us. We spend so much time working on the outside, and there's nothing wrong with working on the outside. Believe me, I could use a haircut right about now. See, so, so that's not the problem. The problem is we work so much on the outside that we forget about the inside. We need to focus on the inside much more than we focus on the outside. Because there's one big difference between us and those cups. What's on the inside of us will eventually show up on the outside. Jesus said, first cleanse the inside of the cup that the outside may be clean also. You see, if I clean up my heart, if I clean up my attitude, it'll show on the outside. If I clean up my mind, what I think about, it'll show up on the outside. The Lighthouse of Alexandria is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Uh, it was the, the idea, the, the brainchild to build this, of, of Ptolemy. And, and Ptolemy, he, he commissioned the architect Sostratus to design the lighthouse. According to legend, Sostratus put Ptolemy's name on the front of the lighthouse in thick plaster that was eye-catching. But then he carved his own name underneath in granite. So originally it looked and it gave all that credit to Ptolemy, but as the years went on, it all washed away, and all that was left was the, was the name underneath. The point is this, what's on the surface fades away. We know that. 
What's on the surface fades away, and what's underneath will one day be seen. That's why we need to focus on the inside. Last one, number seven, open your heart to God's word. The Pharisees didn't. They were closed off to God and to his word. We need to open ourselves to God's word. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets. The prophets were the ones that were bringing God's words to people. You build the tombs of the prophets and say, if we'd lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, your witness is against yourselves that you're sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. The idea here is that their father's guilt went so far, and their guilt was going to even go beyond that. It was going to fill up that, that cup of guilt. Fill up your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of them you'll kill and crucify, and some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. They said they were better than others, than their forefathers, but they weren't. They said they would have accepted the prophets, but here was God himself in the flesh before them, and they were rejecting him. And not just rejecting him, two days later, they would have him crucified. How's Jesus respond to all of this? How's he respond to these people? The next words Jesus speaks are absolutely amazing. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. You see, God is willing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Even to these religious leaders, how many times I would have gathered you but... You weren't willing. And the same thing's true today. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is willing. He's done everything. Don't let anything keep you from him. God says he's willing. The problem is very often, we're not willing. Even after all they had done, God was reaching out to them. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. Fire broke out in the chicken coop. The farmer and his friends went out there. They put out the fire, but, but, but it was so much damage done. They, they went inside the coop when it was safe, and they looked around, and they just saw, saw all the chickens, and they, 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 were just, they were just gone. They were just burned beyond recognition. But then they heard a little bit of chirping, they walked around, and, and, and they followed the chirping, and they came, and there was a, there was a mother hen sitting on her roost. And, and she had stayed there through the fire, and she had been burned, and she had been killed. But then when they pushed her over, there were four baby chicks underneath her. 
She had given her life for those chicks. And it reminds us of what Christ did for us. He gave his life so that you and I can have eternal life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's God's message to all of us. We've all sinned and fallen short of, of God's perfect standard, but Christ died for us. He suffered the penalty for our sin so that we might have forgiveness of sins and everlasting life by putting our faith and trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, we don't want to just appear to be your followers. We want to be your followers. Help us to take what you've shown us today and live it this week. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.